Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. So I just want to invite you into this reality that Jesus is better than the best sermon. Jesus is better than poor church coffee. Jesus is better than any knowledge you might gain today. Jesus is the source of the power to live it, the source of salvation. He is it. So I'm gonna, can you just like bow your head, close if you have to, I have to close my eyes, I have ADD, helps me pay attention. And I just want you to think of the idea of being attentive to Jesus. Lord, we give you our attention. We wanna be attentive to you, which means we wanna know when you walk in the room and we wanna know when you leave. This is not a very fun place to be if you're not here. And so Lord, we invite your presence and more we invite you to make us aware of your presence. I believe you are here because your word promises that you will be in amongst your people. And so right now, God, would you inflame our hearts? Would you make us aware of your goodness? Jesus, we love you. I love you. I love everything about you, Jesus. I love your words. I love your ways. I love your voice. I love how you minister to people better than any of us can. And so if you're a Christian in this room, will you just begin to engage the Lord? If it's a rough week, will you talk to him about it? If you have anxiety, will you tell him about it? If marriage was hard, if sin got you this week, will you confess that to him? And just start to treat him as the lover of your soul that he is? Forget about trying to learn something for the next 30 minutes. Forget about church and get very attentive to God. Yeah, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your promises. And just before we close, I'm just gonna ask, if you're in here and you just need prayer for anything, will you just raise your hand? I'm not gonna make a big deal about it. Everybody, eyes closed. If you just need prayer, raise your hand. So, Lord, I pray for the ones with their hands raised. And I ask that you would comfort them right now with power and grace, that the, the resurrection power of Jesus would rise up in them that any assault of the evil one would be broken in the name of Jesus, that they are not raising their hands to men, they are raising their hands to God, and we need help. Would you help them show off your goodness, your power, and your mercy? And I pray that they would encounter your love today like never before. Thank you for their boldness to just raise their hand. Would you show them yourself? In Jesus' name we pray, amen? Amen. So Ephesians 6, uh, I have heard sermons on the armor of God about 100 times in my life. Who here learned about the armor of God on a flannel graph? Those are your church kids? Bless you, okay? And we're going to talk about these realities that we are caught up in in this room. And what I mean is some of you are going to feel really weird in this sermon because we live a very anti-supernatural worldview. We don't think angels and demons in heaven and hell all the time. We think grease stains, the dishes need cleaned. We think in that realm. But Paul's gonna pull his people in Ephesus into this reality that they are in a fight. They are in a war. There's a battle happening right now, even in this room. And if you don't know it, like, all right, picture D-Day for me, right? Storming the beaches of Normandy. There's all those guys, there they go. And then here comes a family with their beach towels and their flip-flops. Here, hon, let's go have a good stay at the beach. What happens to them? Shot down immediately, I heard. So like, if you live like a civilian, unaware that it's wartime, if you live in wartime, like it's peacetime, what happens? This is what Paul's arming us for. And it will be unsettling because we don't like to think about demons. We don't like to think about Satan. We don't like to think about a warfare. But can I tell you what I believe God's call on my life, on any elder that gets up here's life? Our call is to equip you for the work of ministry. Did you hear me? 
which means you're the ministers, not me. My job is to equip you to do the ministry, to do the warfare, to do the fighting, to do the praying, to do the praying for healing, to go in and proclaim the God. You, you were it. And what I've found is when I talk to people like this, they're like, no, 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 no. All this warfare stuff, that's your job. You're the professional. I'm like, no, no, no. This is your job. And if you're unaware of it, you're probably not doing it. You're living like a civilian on a beach in Normandy. And therefore, the enemy's having a heyday. And I think he loves it. He loves to suppress this idea in us because if we're not thinking about it, we're not fighting him. And so I want to I wanna arm you with this idea that I believe, why didn't God beam us up when he saved us? Think about it. You said yes to Jesus. Why didn't Star Trek, like, why didn't that happen? Because God put you where you are with the kids you have in the situations you are to herald his goodness to an unsaved world. You're the ambassadors. You're the aroma of Christ. You're the warriors. You're the ones that are now have been adopted from the kingdom of darkness and adopted into the kingdom of his beloved son. You are sons and daughters. You are ambassadors. You are warriors. You are, I, I can just go on for a long time. What I've found is Christians, we don't identify with that a lot. We, we have this real low version. If you belong to Christ, who's in you right now? The Holy Spirit of the living Christ which means when you walk into dark places this week, who's with you? When you encounter things that don't match with God's original intended plan for people, guess what God's plan A to reach that person is? You. And I know that's scary. I know you're like, no, I just want the professionals to do it. I just want the professionals to do it. It's easier. But God's word calls us to be a light in a dark world. So here's the challenge. I want you to start identifying places this week that don't line up with God's kingdom, and I want you to go tear them down and then build his kingdom in that place. I want you to be the arms and feet of Jesus. I want you, the ones that are gonna make warfare, make Satan's job really hard this week. If all 200 of us can make Satan's, I just wanna make his life a living hell. That's our job. We are kingdom people. His kingdom, not ours. And so we'll talk about what that looks like, but what it's going to take is a realization that we actually are in a fight. So what I'd like to do, just to get you in that wartime mentality, I have my lovely war drum. Don't you love it? I I got to do this at the end of second or first service last week, but I didn't quite get to do it second service. So hello, second service people. Is Jack in this room? Jack, you in here? Jeremiah, you want to play this drum for me? Great. Yeah, you can't say no. (laughs) So what we're going to do, this is Jeremiah. Everybody say, hi, Jeremiah. Everyone knows Jeremiah. This is your war drum. I just want you to play it like a war drum. Do you have any beat? You feel that? Now open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. He's just going to keep doing this, and I'm going to read it over you, all right? The idea is, this is what's happening. Thank you, Jeremiah. <laughs> Probably should have chosen someone a little more subdued. No, no, kill it, man. Beat this thing. Like, just, yeah, yeah, that's what we should be doing. Go to verse 10. Check. Yes, just go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you might take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Okay, we're good. Thank you, sir. We are going to repeat that. I don't know if we're going to repeat that with him at the end of the service, and we're all going to read it together, all right? But you're like, what is it doing with the drum? We need to get out of peacetime mentality. You are not weak. You are a victor in Christ. We have victory in Jesus' name. He's powerful. I'm not so worried about Satan. You know why? Because he, his power was disarmed. And the rulers and the authorities were disarmed on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And if Jesus was with me, any demonic force, anything that doesn't match his kingdom stands no chance to the resurrected Savior. So I'm not even asking you to be aware of the enemy. I'm asking you to be very aware of the power of your Savior and stop living like he's a short T-Rex armed Savior. He is not. He has a really strong reach. He is mighty to save. He is powerful in salvation and is in his name and his name alone. And you know him. So he says in verse 10, we're gonna rip it apart verse by verse. No drum this time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I need to pull out my notes. I don't even have notes anymore. This is bad. Those aren't them. I apologize. There we go. My Bible. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Go down to verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand firm. So you have this idea, number one. For finally, he said all these beautifully amazing things and I hope you read the book of Ephesians. It's my favorite book of the Bible and I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. It literally is my favorite book of the Bible. He starts in chapter one. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. He begins to teach on adoption. He begins to teach in chapter five. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your, I mean, it's just normal. It feels very normal, right? And then in chapter six, he's like, and the last thing you need to know is there's a war going on. And it's going to happen all around you. And you do not want to be a civilian in this war. You want to have armor on in battle. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Who here thinks they're stronger than me in this room? All the dudes raised their hand. I love dudes. Who can beat me in an arm wrestling competition in this room? This guy. So, right. So it wouldn't be that hard for any of you masculine men to beat me up, beat me in an arm wrestling thing. Now, we know, we understand physical strength, right? Do enough bicep curls and chest day, you'll be strong, whatever, right? There is a, a very big difference between physical strength and God's strength, very big. Some of you are very physically strong, very spiritually weak. And that's a reality you have to face if you want the strength of God. Now think about all the places in the Bible where God's strength was shown off. Was it with really strong, really awesome men and women? No, it was with really weak, pretty broken men and women. This is where the strength of God thrives, men and women who are dependent on him. So Gideon and his army, God just whittled that thing down till it made no logical sense and they destroyed a much bigger army. Why? Because the strength of the Lord was with them. You, you look at King David, you look at Joshua around Jericho. He's like, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna send the worshipers around the city. What? What about the guys with spears? Nope, send the worshipers. And they walk around it and they blow a trumpet and what happens to Jericho? And the walls came tumbling down. That, why? Because they understood that there was a strength that'll get you so far in human nature, but then there's this strength in the Lord. And some of you, you're strong. You're, you're strong in business. You're strong at being a husband, strong at being a wife, strong at something. But if you would invite God's strength, you wouldn't only just see the physical, you'd see God's kingdom show up in those places. Because there's a functional difference between the strength of the Lord and the strength of his might. If God flexes just a little bit of his power in this room, we're all gonna be on the floor. I could drop. He says this to Job. Job sees mighty things, whirlwinds and powerful like storms. And God goes, this is but a fringe. This is the outmost part of my power. Are you strong in the Lord? And if you were honest and we sat down and we were honest, do you know God's strength in your life? Now I'll ask this. Who here feels weak? Good. No, don't even, like, you should be like, me. I boast in my weakness that the power of Christ might rest on me. The problem is we all want to walk around like peacocks, like, I'm strong. I'm handling this. Right? But the man of God, the woman of God, humbles themselves and goes, I'm not strong. I'm just a jar of clay. I got cracks all over me, but there's a power of God that rests in me.
and it takes humility. And if you want the power of God in your life, the first thing you're going to have to do is realize how weak you actually are and then ask his power to fill you and cover you that his might might be shown off. That is step one for Paul's recipe, like finally, this is what you need to do. Be strong in the Lord, not yourself. Then he says, put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, so that you might stand firm. So I'll give you another hypothetical. Who here thinks that you could stand firm-footed enough that I could shove you and you wouldn't fall over? I saw somebody like, no, you could shove me over right now. <laughs> Light as a feather. Now take that out of the physical, because this is what Paul, he's drawing the Ephesians to stop just thinking physically and just start thinking spiritually and supernaturally. In your spiritual life, how firm are you standing? And I'll give you some examples. What phone call could you receive that would make your faith shake? Somebody in your family die? The cancer phone call? Gotten one of those. Kids is in the hospital phone call? What could happen that would shake you that you would become unfirm? Paul wants them to stand firm, not to be afraid, and to stand there. And it's not it's this idea that he, they're not attacking and they're not retreating. They are firmly standing where God's put them. Stand firm, then, in this day of evil. Now, there's two places that I can identify where we are told not to stand and fight, but we are actually told to run. Do you know what those are? Two places we should flee sexual immorality and we should flee the love of money. That's the two places in the Bible that I can find that we are actually told, don't actually go into those things, run away. So I will say this. We are told when it comes to money and honeys, you run, all right? You write that down, all right? Write that down. Money and honeys, boom, all right? So Jezebel, vile temptress, away. Don't hit her, but that, you know what I mean. And then love of money, why? Because the love of money will make a heart grow cold towards the love of God. So he says, run away from those things, but in this spiritual war, you plant yourself not in your strength, but in a strength from somewhere else, and you arm yourself with an armor you don't provide. Now, we try to understand the armor. I have gone in so many times where people like dissect the Greek, and I'm not against it, uh, but you can get so really stupidly detailed about what's it actually mean, and when he says this, this is what it looks like, and miss the actual meaning of the thing. What Paul's doing, he's not asking you to go, here's the gospel. Here's the thing that Jesus did on the cross, rose from the dead, and secured you as a son or daughter of God. Now add to that this piece of armor and this piece of armor. He's not adding anything. He's going, this is how you live out the gospel in these areas of your life. And it will look like armor, but it's not about armor. If it was about armor, I should have armor for each of you today. But God has things he wants to put on your soul, on your life, in your hands, in your mind, how you see, how you feel that you can receive today. And we'll call them armor because that's how our human minds get around them. But what they really are are ways to apply the gospel. The righteousness of God has been placed on me. It is a breastplate on me. I am righteous because he declared me so. So you begin to see how, yes, one of them is offensive and some of them are defensive, but I believe all of them are very needed in the body of Christ today. I think he tells us these things for a few reasons, uh, but let's look at uh, verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, very quickly, I need you to understand what he said and what he didn't say. Who are we fighting? Now, here's how we normally read this verse. I don't, need, I don't like Suzanne. She needs deliverance. Satan loves to make this verse about me hating you and doing warfare against you, but you are not my enemy. You are not my enemy. My battle is not against flesh and blood. 
There are rulers and the authorities and of spiritual powers that are at work even here, right now. And I'm not against you, I'm actually for you. This plays out all the time in my life. So there's people that I meet and they are drug addicted. I'm actually not fighting them, I'm fighting the powers that are holding them. So I go to a place here at Oxford and we serve food and we pray for people. And there's one particular door that I go to and I I know that it is this because I used to go to them. It's just a drug house. And there's needles on the outside and it's broken down. And I stand there with a box of food and before I go in, I stand on that doorstep and I go, in the name of Jesus, any spirit that doesn't belong to the God, bow in the name of Jesus. And I pray that when I walk in, anything in there that's not of the Lord, it bows. So I get in a conversation with this lady and she kind of looks at me like a little bit like, and I'm like, I'm here to give you some food and let you know that there's hope. And I said, can I pray for you? And I don't know why she said yes. And when I put my hand on her, she shuddered. She went, and I went, in the name of Jesus, anything claiming this woman's life, you are broken. And Jesus loves you and brings hope if you'll trust him. And that followed, what followed that was a conversation about her kids being taken away, how she's been trying to get off the drugs. And I was like, I understand. And Jesus has power to, to set free captives. You're like, what? No exorcist move? No vomit? No. But the power of God came on a doorstep in the middle of Oxford, Ohio. Because there's a fight there. I didn't go, you're so stupid for making those decisions. I can't believe you said yes to drugs again. And I could say that, because some of that, she did make some choices. But really, what's binding her? What's underneath binding her? We want to take care of that stuff. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Paul understood. Paul believed in an unseen spiritual realm because there is one. And the reality is Jesus, our Lord, the guy that I'm trying to be like, we're trying to be like, he believed in one. Did you know that? So if we're in the captives being set free business, if we're in the gospel being proclaimed dark places business, what's binding people? What are they trapped by? Well, look at Jesus's life. Jesus once had a woman who for 18 years was bent over. She comes to him for healing, and he casts a demon out of her. Then she stands up straight and is healed. What's that about? A man, a father, brings his son to Jesus and says, over and over again, convulsions grip him, and he's thrown into fire, and it tries to drown him. What's the it? It's a demon. Jesus casts it out. The boy can speak. The boy can stand upright. So as we start to understand, there are spiritual realities at work right now and in your life. It doesn't actually freak me out anymore. It used to be a little bit. Everybody been around those Christians where everything's the devil? Everything is not the devil. And he is not God's equal at any slight bit. Demons aren't scary because I have a really good big brother named Jesus. He makes everything bow when he walks in. And there's moments where I've been with people and I'm like, Jesus, I don't have this in me, but I know that you are powerful. And so in the name of Jesus, you, this thing has to go. And it goes. Are you living in a wartime mentality because you're in one? You're in one. And some of you are like, I knew this place was going to get weird. This is the Bible. The Bible says you're in a war. The Bible says you need to put on armor. Because you have an adversary that's roaming around, roaring like a lion, looking for people to devour. Do you know people in your life that are being devoured by Satan right now? My favorite thing to do is find those people and go, Jesus can free you from that lion's mouth. That's my favorite thing to do. And that is a higher calling than I think some of us are living. What I mean is, I find so many Christian men that are bored with Christianity. Because all you think it is, is don't drink and don't sleep with people I'm not married to and watch what I look at. And it's a list of rules. You have actually been invited to be a warrior that goes and destroys the work of the devil for a living. That's fun. That's worth giving my life to. That's worth waking up every morning and go, Jesus, where are we going today? And what captives are getting set free kind of thing. And don't think like, hey, you got to be a minister. I'm talking like car lots doing dents. I'm talking about this guy, he's like, yeah. Uh, Farming, water coolers in a cubicle. I have watched people in cubicles bring the kingdom of God by an act of obedience 
and the things of darkness bowed, and God came. Where you are, God is with you. Now look around your world in your head, where does it not match what should be, how God made it to be? Where does it not match? Now go challenge it, not the person, the thing controlling the person, and bring the kingdom of God. Bring it. Go to work. Go make war, because you're in one. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So what Satan wants us to do is make it about flesh and blood. He wants me to make it about you. He wants you mad at me and me mad at you. This is Satan's repertoire. He loves to stir up disunity and dissension and me to get offended about you. And all of a sudden, I'm not fighting spiritual powers and principalities. I'm fighting you. And I'm offended about you. That is a number one tactic of the enemy. So if Jesus lived this reality and Paul wants us to live this reality, I think what we need to do is be very alert that we're living the same one. You're the, on the same earth that Jesus walked, yes? Or did he put us on a second earth? No? You're like, never mind. Be alert. There is an enemy who wants to destroy you. The enemy does not want sons and daughters of God walking in their fullness. He doesn't want you to put the armor on. He doesn't want you making war against his plan. He doesn't want you proclaiming the gospel. He doesn't want your home to be full of peace. He doesn't want anything that the sons and daughters, the image bearers of God could bring to the earth. He doesn't want it. And Paul's like, so now we're gonna put on some armor and we're gonna go make a fight. I'm gonna go pick a fight. That's what, let's go. And he starts to walk through these things because here's the reality. Where the gospel has fortified you, Satan can't attack you. So there's verses in the Bible that I find hilarious only because we use them so wrong. Any married couples ever heard the verse, don't let the sun go down while you're angry? We only use it in marriage. And I don't know why. That verse says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then it tells you why. Because you don't want to give the devil a foothold. So picture a beachhead in your heart. And if you have uncontrolled anger, you are literally losing the war. Because what you're doing is going, Satan, I want you to take up residence right here. Have this place so that you can wage war on my mind, on my heart, on my conscience, on all of me. I want you to, you're just letting him do that. So he says, it's really serious. That's warfare, y'all. Where the gospel has fortified you, he starts to apply the gospel to the different parts. Those are the armor pieces. So let's, let's walk through them. He says, verse 13. Take up, this is the first piece, take up the belt of truth. Now, when we think of truth, I want you to immediately think where you should think this, yeah? I'm gonna change that here in a second, but here's the reality. You can't obey the commands of the Bible if you don't know them. And Jesus says, the ones that love me, they'll obey me. They'll obey my commandments. And so we must be a people, and this becomes a sword here in a second in these verse. We must be a people that know this so we know the truth. But here's a reality I want you to think about. When the Bible talks about truth, it's not necessarily a thing to get in here. It's a person to know. So Jesus in John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the, I am the what? The what? I had to do this with nine o'clock. They did not want to talk to me. And then I had to yell at them. He's, he, Jesus, the incarnate son of God, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You don't get to God unless you come to Jesus. So I want you to picture the belt of truth, not as an, uh, like an objective idea, I gotta conquer every little thing in Greek and little tidbit. That's important. What he's really talking is, I'm putting Jesus around every area of my life. I want the armor of God held together by a man, Jesus. I don't want to go into war without him. Do you? Most of us, though, this is what we do. Jesus, stay here. I'm going to go figure this out because I'm strong. Until we mess it up enough, then we come back and we go, Jesus, will you fight with me? I messed it up. That's what we do. So why not realize I want the commander of the Lord of hosts who's with me? I want him fighting my battles with me. I don't want to go to work without him. I don't want to go into business without him. I don't want to do marriage without him. I don't want to do anything without him. Why? Because he's the truth that holds up my trousers. 
He's the truth that binds it all together. If you don't have him, you can't do anything. You're like, what? John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do? You can't wage spiritual warfare without Jesus. He's the power behind it. I'm not strong. Literally, I have been in encounters with people where I, they tell me something horrific or demonic, and I'm like, I don't, I can't, I can't. I don't have a power within myself. And literally God's like, I'm standing right behind you, knucklehead. And I'm like, oh yeah, my big brother Jesus. He has authority. He has power. Demons flee in his name. Everything bows when Jesus walks in. There's nothing more powerful than him. Do you know what happens if you try to do spiritual warfare without Jesus? The seven sons of Sceva. That's what happens. You're like, seven sons of Sceva? I don't have time, but I'll tell you this. There was six or seven Jewish itinerant, itinerant exorcists. Great job description. So they're Jewish, and they're in the business of kicking out the devil and his demons, yeah? And so they hear that Paul has been going around casting out demonic powers like Jesus had taught, right? So they find a guy that's got that going on in his life, and they all get in there, and they're like, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, we ask you, we adjure you, get out. There's a really scary moment when the demon talks back. But he goes, I've heard of Paul, and I know Jesus. Who are you? That's when you're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Crap. No. <laughs> right? This man, like, attacks them, tearing off their clothing and beats them. And six, seven naked Jewish itinerant exorcists now run away afraid. That's what happens if you try to do spiritual warfare without Jesus. That every time. There is power in Jesus, and we can't do anything apart from him. So I'll ask you where we started today. We started today saying, I want to equip you. The best thing I can tell you is time spent at Jesus' feet is not wasted time. Learning his ways, learning his word, learning his touch, learning his spirit, learning everything about him. Because when I get into those situations, I'm not afraid anymore because I know him. And I know he's good, and he does bring liberty to the captives. He does set people free. That's his job. That's what he does. And he's good at it. So if you want to learn how to do spiritual warfare, stop. don't be concerned with the enemy. He's not that strong. Be very concerned with Jesus. What's he doing? Do you know what he's doing? Are you friends with him? I sit with him every morning, and I go, God, I love doing ministry with you, and I never want to do it apart from you. And you are ministers. You're not alone. You got a really strong big brother. So step one, put on the belt of truth, who's a person. Get Jesus in everything. Invite Jesus. I want Jesus around my business. Biz, businessmen, invite Jesus into your business, and you won't just have business. You'll have kingdom of God business. Marriages, invite Jesus in the middle of your house. And some of you are already still thinking, you're like, is he talking about casting out demons? No, I'm talking spiritual warfare women. I'll, I say this to all the moms and the husbands, not well, the moms and the wives. You'll come to me, be like, things are hard. And this is what I've always said, and I actually learned it from Jeremiah. I tell the wives, go to every room in your house and pray and say, in Jesus' name, this room belongs to God. And there will be peace in this house. And Jesus, break any spirit that's divisive, or prideful in me. Normally what we do is go, I'll fix my husband. Tell me how that works. So the husband and the men, we get a little belligerent, a little prideful, and what's the wife do? Well, she puffs up and goes, well, I'll get belligerent and prideful. That's not what, how you're supposed to fight. Proclaim the goodness of God over your house, pray over every room of your house, and watch God, watch the Holy Spirit be a better Holy Spirit than you. He'll change your husband. He's a knucklehead, but the Spirit's strong. Amen? Amen. Okay. Secondly, so what I meant was don't just think that this is always like, oh, I got to find the demon in the room. Think of this as bringing the culture in the kingdom. It's in the thoughts of God right here, right now. Secondly, second piece of armor, take up the breastplate of righteousness. So I have a statement that I would challenge you to be able to say and see if any part of you bucks against it. I am clean before God. Can you say that? You are right. You have right standing, righteousness, before God on high. When he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of another, which means you can't mess it up. 
and I get tearful because this, is, this isn't just like, put your breastplate on. This is the gospel. I have righteousness on my life that I didn't buy, that I didn't earn, and it has been placed on me. And when I live from a place of I am righteous before God, I have righteousness forever and eternity. I will never be turned away from his presence because Jesus died and rose again and declared that it was finished. That's when I wake up every morning, this is what I do. Just pretend I'm in my bed. That should be good for you. I wake up and I sling my feet over the side before they hit the, ta- the, the table. Um, I sleep on a table. Before they hit the ground, I say, Jesus, I thank you that you made me your son and that I am righteous. And I pray that I would live this life today that honors you because you saved me by your blood. Day begins. You know what I'm doing when I do that? Yours might sound different. You know what I'm doing? I'm putting on the breastplate. I am putting on an identity that I am righteous. I am not defined by my past. I'm a new creation, and so are you. This is war. And if you go into this world without that on, the enemy, he loves to throw shame. That's his language. Satan's language is shame and accusation. But when that hits my life, I go, I, don't, I might have messed up, Satan, but Jesus made me holy. And righteousness is my name now. I was a sinner. I am now saved by grace through faith, and nothing can take that, not even your dumb little Ariel. This is war. This is, you are made righteous. So let me ask you again. Can you say it without a twing of like, am I? And if you have that little twing of like, am I clean? You need to go study Romans. You need to go study this word because it declares that the work of Jesus Christ was effective. And that when he creates you clean and it makes you a new creation, you are new and free indeed. So it's not pride. You hear me? I think some of us, we don't want to do this work because it feels like the, the most humble thing to do is go, I'm a dirty, ratted little sin. That's not your identity. Jesus Christ was victorious, right? The victor, Christus victor, victus. Do you want to go Latin? He, he, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is the gospel. I I, I am made able to come into the holy of holies by the blood of the precious son of God. You are too. And if you don't understand this, Satan's got you right where he wants you. Because all he has to do is go, well, you had that thought. I guess you're out of the family. All he has to do is go, oh, you were tempted. I guess you're not a real man of God. I guess all he has to do is put some degree of shame and you won't come in. But if you went to God's house right today, like I'm talking to his living room, you're able to go there. But not because you're good, because Jesus gave you his goodness. And you're like, that's just bait. No, that's the gospel. That's the good news. We get to come before God. So learn to put on the righteousness of God. This is not happy thoughts and really, really like, you know like how some people like self-talk? You like look in the mirror every morning. You are handsome. You are successful. That's not what this is. This, is. this is the word of God, the power of God. This is the real thing. If Jesus didn't make us righteous, we're in trouble. This is stupid. But Jesus did make us righteous. Let us live that way and then learn to put on the breastplate because Satan loves to shoot arrows and add shame. Jesus does not have the language of shame. Discipline, yes. Shame, no. Third piece of armor, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus shows up, there's peace. And a mark of a Christian's life is peace. And I know some of you are like, well, I don't feel very peaceful. Am I not safe? That's not what I'm saying. There's an uncanny ability of God's work in a human heart that no matter what's happening on out here, they're like, I trust him. I'm good. And so Paul's like kind of pulling into this idea that if you put the righteousness of God on your life, I don't know I said God, if, if you put Jesus as the truth around your heart, what will also start to happen is the places that you walk, the peace of God will come. You will bring it because you're not shaken by the things that the world is shaken by. 
But he says it in an unusual way. He says, as shoes for your feet, put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the first thing is, Jesus comes and brings peace where there's not. Think storm on the water, be quiet, storm. Storm in the soul, be quiet, storm. And then you start asking Jesus, Jesus, where do you want to send me with your peace? And I'll challenge you in this because some of us, our lives are so full. There's no room for any of that. And what I mean is our rhythms betray us. Who here gets up at the same time every day? Because you're type A'ers, you are really good. You wake up at the same time of the day, you use the restroom at the same time of the day, brush your teeth at the same time of the day, eat the same food every day, drive the same thing to work every day, listen to the same podcast every day, sit in the same cubicle every day. You do the same thing every day. What I would challenge you to do, random moments, I don't think there's shame on this, God, what do you want to do right now? And don't think big. I'm not asking you to sell your house and move to Zimbabwe. I'm asking you, if God said pray for Jim, will you pray for Jim? And then if he says pray for Jim, you say, I'm supposed to pray for Jim. Say, am I supposed to do that right, right now? Or like, should I just do it here? And see, that's relationship. That's life with God. That's I'm in the Lord's army and he can tell me what to do. So these feet fitted with a readiness is a readiness that if tomorrow God tells me and Anna to sell our house and move, guess what I'm doing? Because I'm ready. I'm in, my whole worldview shifted when I said yes to Jesus. I'm not the master of my life. I am commissioned in an army to go herald the gospel of Jesus. So if he wants me there, I guess I gotta go there. And if he wants you where you're at, ask him to use you. What I notice a lot with Christians is we get so frantic with the pace of the world, the world doesn't notice the peace of Jesus on us. But the world, you know what they desperately need right now? Peace. Peace. And there's a guy we know. We call him the Prince of Peace. Mighty God, Holy One. That guy? Jesus, you know him. And if you'll sit with him, he'll bring peace, even where it doesn't logically make sense to be peace. Feet fitted with a readiness to go where our master sends us. Feet fitted with a readiness and a peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Fourth peace. Above all, as in, this is real important, all, as in, if you forget this, you're kind of dumb. I added that. That's paraphrased by Andrew. But above all, which is above all the other stuff he's listed, take the shield, taking the shield of faith by which we extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one. So once again, I think we get this idea that this is the only offensive weapon. But I know if I hit you in the face with a shield, it'll hurt. Do you think? If I hit you in the face with a blunt metal object, do you think it'll hurt? Okay. And so when we look at this idea of the shield of faith, I think what we think is, well, I got to stir up this big degree of faith. Now look at the whole teaching of the Bible about faith. How much faith do you need? Mustard seed? So I like that idea because some days when Satan's shooting things at me, like, how dare you have that thought? Oh, I'm so offended at her. I, I feel like I have this little, like, thing little shield, but it's not about the size of my shield of faith. It's about the one I have my faith in. And I do think Paul's trying to call them into this idea that there is an enemy who's actively shooting accusation at you, actively putting temptation in your way. And what he wants us to realize is, do you realize the things that have happened in your life aren't always just coincidence? Like sometimes you dudes, you stumble into stuff because we're just dumb. I'm dumb sometimes. Other times, look at how it lined up perfectly that you would be tempted the way that you were tempted. And do you not think that there's an adversary behind there that's like, I'm going to get him today? And what, what Paul says is the main way that you block all that crap is faith. Is faith in God. Now, here's the reality. I have put all my eggs in this basket. I don't have that plan B. This is it. I believe that a Jewish Galilean Nazarene man was walking the earth 2,000 years ago and he healed people and proclaimed that the kingdom of God was near and that I needed to repent of my sins if I was ever gonna see it, that I had to come to him. I believe that that man died on a cross and then rose from the dead. 
I believe that that man then hung around for about 40 days and told his disciples, wait for the infilling of the Holy Spirit and power. And he told them, go therefore and teach people to obey everything that I've commanded. And I believe that he ascended to heaven and that one day he will come back on a white horse with a tattoo on his thigh. That's what I have faith in. And you're like, you're weird. You believe that. That's it. That's faith. I don't know why my face got, my, my voice got real loud. That's the faith. That's it. I have, that's my faith. And so when Satan comes at me, man, and he's jabbing a lot these days, he's shooting arrows crazily. He wants us to not love each other. He wants us to hate each other. He wants to make you the enemy, me the enemy. I feel it all the time. He likes to jab. I like to come back with, well, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I come right back at him with this. And I say things like, well, I know that the Lord has promised he will never leave me or forsake me. You ever have moments, though, where you, have, you feel like you have really big faith? You're like, I tr-, like, every week I come in here, I'm like, today's the day somebody's getting healed. Somebody's getting saved, right? So you got these things happening, and all of a sudden, this has happened to me, you get the phone call that your dad's got cancer, and you feel your faith like, and then you lose your job, right? This is Satan's ploy sometimes to get us to not trust God. Read the Old Testament. How many times did it look like nothing was going in their favor, and yet they declared, but I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. It's almost like a war beat. I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. That's warfare. And so sometimes what I think we need to do is not conjure up faith. I don't think we have to work it up. I don't think we have to lie to ourselves about where we are with faith. We only need that much. But I also know there's something about not letting my situations or my feelings dictate my faith, but letting the word of God dictate my faith. Jesus healed people. Jesus saves people. Jesus delivers people. Jesus walks on water. Jesus did tell us he's coming back. Jesus told us that we should live with eternity in our view. And so my faith grows when I go, he will never leave me or forsake me. His eye is on the sparrow. How much more is his eye on me? I am an ambassador for Christ. Get out of here with that noise, Satan. You're fighting, and it will be a fight. And I think so many of us think that we're just gonna sit around in a lotus pose until Jesus comes back. Why? Satan's roaring all over the earth right now. He hates the sons and daughters of God. He hates you because Jesus loves you. He hates you because you're an image bearer of God. And he hates every human on the earth, and he's destroying a lot of them. And God's answer is right here. Once again, why didn't God beam you up when you got saved? Why didn't just, whoop, there they went. Another one got saved. See that? Why? so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who saved you out of darkness and into the marvelous light of his son, Jesus. That you might go do what Jesus did, destroy the works of the devil. How's your faith? Has life made it small? Has it started to waver? And this is why, once again, we have to come back to this and go, I see this, and this is where we don't talk honestly. There's places in my life where I have honest conversations where, Lord, I see it there but I don't see it here. And I'll pray for years. And you're like, you wanna talk about warfare. We think it's gonna be like righteousness, belt, easy street. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, it's like righteousness every morning, helmet every night, belt around my, I'm getting tired, God. This is why we must learn to fight. Piece five, take up the helmet of salvation. What time is it? Oh, golly. Take up the helmet of salvation. And typically we just think, well, I'm just gonna, you know, declare that I'm saved. But what I want you to realize, if I put a helmet on you, what are you looking through? You're looking through a lens. And what I think Paul wants them to do is to look at life, not as unsaved, but as saved people. He wants them, I can't do it, I don't have the flexibility. Put on their salvation glasses and look at people the way God does, 
Look at situations the way that God does. Look at business the way that God does. Look at marriage the way that God does. We are looking through salvation. And some of you, you were like, oh, I got saved. Nothing changed. Everything changed cosmically, supernaturally. You were declared the righteousness of God. You were declared a son or daughter. You were declared a new creation. So now as I look at people, I'm not looking from the natural. I'm looking from the supernatural. Now when I look at situations, I'm not looking in the natural, I'm looking in the spiritual. Put on salvation. See everything as I'm saved. It's what I am. It's not something that happened to you, it's something you are. You are saved. And so he says, put on the helmet of salvation, and some of that is, yes, how we view, and 100% of that is how we think. Did you know Satan loves to mess with your mind? So not only does he shoot these darts at our souls and our hearts with condemnation and shame, he honestly comes after our thoughts. And once we've talked about this before, some of us, we just let our thoughts roll. They come in, they go out, they come back around. Anybody ever just sit at night and you can't get your mind to shut up? And maybe, you know, we can learn some things and maybe that's, you know, physically like you just struggle with some anxiety. But I also know that Satan loves to trick my mind and accuse and speak lies and bring up things that offenses against me and be like, you didn't deserve that. And then the problem is, if I don't stop long enough, I'll begin to agree with the accuser of the brethren. But if we would slow down and realize that things that come into our mind are actually able to be controlled, did you know that? You can control what you think about. Some of you are like, no. You can. This is why we're told to take our thoughts captive, grab a hold of that thing, and be like, that's not of God. And in the name of Jesus, be quiet. Start doing that in the car with your wife. Like, that'll be fun. So what we need to realize is it's not just our heart or our feelings. It's what we're thinking about. And he wants us to have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians tells us we do. You have the mind of Christ. So Paul's going, I want you to realize that you are in a spiritual battlefield and that you need to put on these armor pieces because the way that you think should be like Jesus. The way that you look should be like Jesus. The way that you feel should be like Jesus. The way that you walk with your feet should be like Jesus. The things that you do will now belong to a kingdom that's not this one. Live that life. And he ends with the sixth piece, and then we will end talking. He says, now, in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This has been called the offensive weapon that you have been given. You can wield this. Satan hates this. Some of you, you're like, man, I just need to know how to cast out a demon. What you really need to know is Satan doesn't want you to read that book at all. And so sometimes in the morning when I'm like, oh, I've read it so many times, I want to read it again, that's warfare. That's the enemy of my soul calling me into laziness. Make war. Be like, I'm going to read it to you, Satan. You know what I mean? Like, get, get in there and fight to know the things of God. This is a beautiful honor. They don't have this everywhere in the world. You get to read the word. You get to know God. You get to walk in the kingdom. And he says, the sword of the spirit. Now, if I handed you a physical sword and I was like, go kill people with it, you could probably figure it out, right? I mean, give a young boy a stick and we got a sword. You know what I mean? We're hitting something. We know how to do it physically once again. We know physical strength. We do not know spirit swords. We don't understand it. It's other. But I'm telling you, there is power in this book to destroy arguments, to break down lies, to really cut at the heart of men. This is why this is sharper than any double-edged sword and it cuts to the merit, cuts to the depths of a man. I have met strong, I'm talking strong, beastly men. With one touch from God, they were leveled. Why? Because the word of God is like a sword. I want you to picture it this way, and I'm not telling you to watch this movie. I just have, everybody seen the movie 300? All the men are like, am I allowed to admit this? Yes. The whole like, this is part of that whole thing. At the end of that movie, Leonidas and all his little dudes, not little, they're jacked, but it's just a testosterone-filled mess, okay? He's got hundreds of arrows in his shield after a battle. 
and he stands up with his spear, and he goes and smashes all the arrows, and they all, y'all, all you men tracking with me? Okay, I guess you all are holier than me. Don't watch movies like that. Cool. That's the picture. Satan's throwing stuff, and I'm just cutting that stuff down. But once again, remember who our enemy is. It's not flesh and blood. What we want to do is, I don't like Suzanne, so I'm going to hit her with the word. We wield this against each other so ruthlessly sometimes. What this does is it cuts down arguments against the Son of God. What this does is it is the sword of the Spirit by which we can wage war against the principalities and the rulers and the things over the air and all these things that we don't fully understand, but on some level we do. The last thing he says is, finally, in praying at all times in the Spirit, verse 18. Once again, I've heard a hundred sermons on this, and no one ever talks about this. I think it's because they're afraid of tongues. You're like, is he going to go into tongues? Sure am. So, and praying at all times in the Spirit. What's that mean? Now, some of you are like, that means tongues. I don't think it necessarily has to mean that. What I do think is, you're not praying out of your mind or your own agenda. You're praying out of his. So every morning I deliver newspapers for Miami, just because like a side gig it's, gets me up and everything. And there's, there's a house on campus that is an interfaith place. Can I tell you, I hate it. I hate it because they've taken Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and they put them all next to each other and they go, they're the same. Every morning when I drive by that place, I feel the spirit provoke me to pray for that place to be torn down. You're like, that's an intense prayer. I don't know if it means physically bulldozed. If you ever hear like, local man drives bulldozer through Interface Center, that's me. Um, what I really think it is, is it's the spirit going, Jesus is above all of that. And his name is worth more than that. And I start to pray, sometimes in the spirit. Uh, and I, that's what he means. He's going, not only do you have these armor pieces that have been provided by Jesus for you to make war, but he has given you the spirit of God, which will lead you to make war. So once again, start looking around your world and identify the places that don't match the kingdom of God. Go to war. Go tear those things down. Allow the spirit of God to provoke in you prayer. Anyone ever in here ever just all of a sudden, out of the blue, you had an intense desire to pray for somebody? Anybody? What was that? Who? Who was that? Not what, who? That was the spirit that Jesus promised, praying in the spirit at all occasions. Now, I have no problem praying checklists in the morning. I pray for a lot of the elders by name. I don't feel provoked by God to do that. But typically, as I'm going through my list, I'll hit a guy's name, and I'll feel the Spirit go, pray this over that man. There is a difference between waging war in the flesh and waging war in the Spirit. There is a difference between praying in the flesh and praying in the Spirit. And I think if you have the gift of tongues, I think it could mean that too, so you get after it. Pray in the Spirit at all times. This is what Paul says we must do. We cannot be people on the beach at D-Day. The world is beset right now by an enemy who's crafty and hates them. We know the king and the victor over sin and death. And so this is what I, I got a job for you this week. You're like, I do? 1 John 3, 8. Do you know why Jesus came? There it is. The son of man. One of Jesus' names, the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. You are now a part of the family business. I bequeath it upon you. Authority, go. That, I, like, that's, you're the ministers. You're the ministers. I'll minister, we'll minister. Our job is to equip you to go out into the world and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. The Son of Man came to destroy the work of the devil. So I want you to go to war this week. Don't live as a down here faith. Live up here this week. Go identify the places that the enemy's having victory and go proclaim the victory of Jesus. Can we do that? So we're going to end how we started, with the drum. I think we should have Jeremiah do it again. Come on, Jeremiah.
Hey, will you all stand up and grab a Bible? Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to read, we're going to try as a 200 strong group of people to read the Bible together, which is going to be a hot mess, but it's going to be beautiful. We're going to read it, yell it even, and then we're going to run into worship, and there'll be prayer counselors here and here. And I'm, since it is the time that it is, when we get into worship, if you need to go, you can go, grab the kids, come back, or not. We're not mad at you. Everybody got their reading voices out? I'm going to start with you, but I'm going to drop out, and I, we're almost like yell reading this, y'all. Drummer boy, you're All right, finally. And then the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God. against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Oh, we're going to keep going. I don't know if they're ready. Oh, you stopped. Ah, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Woo! Go make war. Go make Satan's life real hard this week, yeah? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. This is true. And I pray that you would fill right now every Christian in this room with a spirit of boldness, not fear. We don't have to be afraid, for the Lord our God is victorious. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and we place our faith in that again in a fresh way this morning. We take you at your word. So Lord, right now, would you apply the righteousness of Jesus to our hearts again? We, we say, yes, Lord, we accept your righteousness. We didn't pay for it, you did. We are the righteousness of God. I pray that, that you right now would help us put on the helmet of salvation. We have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. We boast in our weakness right now that your power might rest on us. I thank you that we all are jars of clay. Some of us feel broken. Some of us have a lot of cracks in this jar. But Lord, would you fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit and power? Remind us that our Savior is not dead, does not have short arms. And I thank you that your word tells us that we can put on armor, that we can stand firm, and that we don't have to be afraid of the enemy and his scheming. Over all of this, Jesus, I ask for the belt of truth. Not that we would conquer knowledge, but that we would be friends with you. That we would know you. You are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, would you grow our faith this week? For the tiny faithers, I, I feel like that so many days. I thank you that you're not ashamed of me when my faith shrinks. But would you grow our faith this week? Would you set up conversations at the water cooler? Would you set up conversations in parking lots, in libraries, in Kroger, where everyday normal people filled with the, the gospel would share it? Would you, Lord, show off your goodness and you have a thousand ways? We thank you that we belong to you. We thank you that you're here. We thank you, God, that as we walk out of here, it's, we are part of a family, part of the kingdom of God to destroy the works of the devil. 
I pray for anybody that's felt beset, attacked by the enemy. In the name of Jesus, I just pray a cease and a desist of all that, all that activity of the evil one. That these beloved in Christ would be hidden in God. And they'd be strengthened from on high in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I love you. Thanks for coming. Please stick around for worship. If you have kids, please go get them so the kids ministry people don't hate me. And uh, other than that, we're just going to hang out in this room. We don't say goodbye. We worship till no one's left. And prayer counselors are coming up right now if you need prayer. Let's worship Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.